Uh, we're going to continue on the theme of new. Great theme. If you have missed some of the past uh, several Sundays of this theme, I would encourage you to get on the pod, podcast and listen to some. You'll find some very, very encouraging messages there. Let's take a look at the uh, two foundational scriptures on which this series is based, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, starting with Isaiah 43, which is a part of a grand piece of the Old Testament. This verse, 19, and I've chosen a New Living Translation, for I am about to do something new. Don't you love it when God says that? See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. We're going to come back and talk about that story a little bit later on. But the point here is God's always up to something new. He delights in the new. If you were to look back into uh, what precedes the message here, you would see God bringing the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, out of bondage and slavery in Egypt across the Red Sea on dry ground, a miracle of miracles. And, uh, and it's a reference back to that. And God's saying, hey, that's a story you've told and retold generation after generation. Several hundred years have passed now. And he's saying, listen, I want you to forget that because I'm about to do something something you haven't seen before. I'm about to create a story that's never been told before. I'm going to do something that's going to utterly amaze you. You thought that was great. Wait till I'm going to do in your lifetime. And then let's go to the New Testament verse from Matthew 9, 17. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the old skins would burst from the pressure. So, I mean, this is an illustration that was common in their day. People understood that. They would take animal skins and sew them up so, so that they could contain the, the liquid. And they would put the new grape juice in there. And as it fermented, then it would expand and stretch the skins. And once that's been done, that's about as far as that skin's going to stretch. You try to do it a second time, and it's going to break. It's going to be brittle. It can't stretch that much more. So Jesus is saying, you're going to spill the wine and ruin the skin. New wine is stored in new wine skins so that both are preserved. Which leads us to the question, do you dare trust God to do something new in your life? Now, this is Pentecost weekend. So let's for a moment say the Holy Spirit is that new wine, which by the way, the scripture does refer to uh, him in that way, the new wine. And in uh, Corinthians, it talks about us being the place of inhabitation. So the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So let's say for a moment, we're the wineskin, which means for us, there's going to be some stretching, some expansion, some discomfort in all of this, but God wants to do something new. If we will allow the Holy Spirit, the freedom to do what he wants to do, what might that mean for us in terms of something new? Kind of exciting to think about, isn't it? And just imagine he wants to do that in your life. Today, I want to talk to you specifically about new purpose. We've dealt with a number of different uh, variations on uh, the, the theme of new, but let's focus on just this this morning, new purpose. That's a word that uh, is very popular in our society. We think, talk about it a lot. We explore what that purpose is all about. We all want to understand our purpose and fulfill that purpose. I want to take a fresh look at that this, this morning, and we're going to do it through the lens of a very, very well-known verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. 
I've heard this verse since I was a kid. But I have to tell you, just in recent weeks, I've been thinking about it at a new level that I never had before and realizing how powerful, how comprehensive it is to all of our lives. And so we're going to focus on this. There's three points that I want to make from it this morning. And here's point number one. Live with the end in mind. So what we're going to do is we're just going to break down this verse and talk about three specific phrases within it. The first one is about God causing things to work together for the good. So let's look at the whole thing from New Living Translation. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Works together for good. We go through challenging times, all of us do. What helps us get through the darkest hours of our lives is an understanding that God has set something in place, in motion, that will, if we, if we will allow his purpose to be fulfilled in our lives, it will result in something good in our lives. Last time I preached, uh, somebody said to me, man, you got a lot of car stories. I guess I do. You want to hear another one? Uh, So let me tell you about my first car. Uh, It was a 1959 Pontiac Catalina. We're going back here, folks. This thing had a beast of an engine on 369 cubic inches, and no teenager should be allowed to drive a car with that much horsepower. Um, I nearly killed myself more than once. But here's how I got the car. It was the family car. So one day my mom was driving it home and was almost, she was almost to the house coming up the road and all of a sudden something happened in the engine. It started clanging, metal slamming against metal, making the most awful noise you can imagine. Black smoke starts pouring out the exhaust pipe. It was bad. So she quickly shut the engine down um, in, the, in the yard and uh, when dad got home she said to him, something's wrong with the car. And, of course, in typical man-like fashion, he said, what'd you do to it? (laughs) I didn't do anything to it. It just broke. So he went out and started it up. Sure enough, it was awful. He shut the thing down in about 10 seconds, borrowed a car, went to the car dealership, and traded it in sight unseen. The dealer gave him 200 bucks for that car toward a new one and uh, said, I'll send a truck out there and I'll tow it in. Well, I sat there for a couple of years almost, and I turned 16 meanwhile, and I got my eye, it's a set of wheels, right? So I'm thinking, maybe, maybe we can do something with this. I went to the dealer and said, hey, you never came to get that car. It's still sitting there. I'd like to buy it from you. And he said, well, make me an offer. I said, how about 75 bucks? Seemed like a good deal to me. And uh, he said, tell you what, you bring me the money, I'll give you the keys. So I had this little weekend job, and I saved up my money, 25 bucks a month for three Three months, I'd bring him slap down $25 in cash. Third month, he handed me the keys, and I went home so excited I could hardly stand myself. So I said to my dad, can you help me figure out what the, I didn't know if you had to put a new engine in it or what. I just knew, I remember what it sounded like when they parked it. So uh, we checked the oil, put some gas in it, put a fresh battery in, cranked it two or three times, and it finally started. And it did make a little clanging noise at first, a little burst of black smoke. But then within a few seconds, the engine started to idle sort of normally. There was no sound. It just, and I was like, Man, could this be true? Can I tell you, I drove that car for several years and I never did a single thing to that engine. 
You got to try it. It's, uh, forget the mechanics. Just let us sit a couple years. It'll be fine. <laughs> I've, honestly, I have no idea. In, please don't ask me to pray for your broken car. I'm not a miracle worker. I, I just know. That, here's the lesson that I took from that. Sometimes things that look really, really bad in life turn out to not be as bad as we thought that they would. And not just in a natural sense, but let's bring that into the spiritual dimension where God causes things. There's always this mix of stuff in our life. There's good stuff, there's bad stuff. There's beautiful, there's ugly. There's messes, there's all kinds of things. God takes this mix of whatever our life is made up, all those ingredients, and he causes everything to work together for the good. It's amazing. And this isn't just some don't worry, be happy, everything's going to be fine kind of thing. This is a certainty, an absolute ultimate certainty that God is at work. There's a plan in place. He's working out a purpose. And no matter what it looks like now, it will end well. A few weeks ago, Jason was uh, telling a story about he and Raina reading books together. Remember that? And how uh, she picks, always picks the books. And she always picks books that she knows have a happy ending because she doesn't like bad, sad endings. So he said he was okay with that because he read the Bible and there was a happy ending. So, but, you know, take that a step further. That really is the theme of our Christian life. We know that as God is working out his grand plan and purpose, no matter what life looks like for us at any given point, it will end well. You have his word on it. I love the whole verse. I wish we could take time to break it down in so many ways. There's so many different variations of thoughts in there. But let's just take a look at the first word, three words, and we know. Such significance. Even the word and, believe it or not, because it takes us back to the beginning of this section in Romans 8, verse 18, where Paul is saying that no matter how painful the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us at some future time. He's saying it's going to be so good later on that the present painful experience is going to be totally forgotten and we're going to live in the glory of God's work in our lives. That's a pretty amazing idea. And he's talking to some people that are going through some very, very difficult times. And he goes on from that thought in verse 18 to say, it's because God's given us a hope. We have this hope that there is a better future, that God is in control, that he's doing something, that it is going to work out. So we have a hope to sustain us through the difficult hours. He said, then furthermore, he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit that helps us to pray when we don't even know how to pray. Sometimes we, we can't put into words what's going on inside us. We can't figure a way to articulate what is happening or even what we want from God, but the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us takes that and interprets it because he knows the heart of God, so he prays a prayer for us that perfectly matches the heart and the will of God, so he's delighted to perform that in us. We got that going on, and we know 
that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him or called according to his purpose. This is like the grand finale of a whole thing that he's developing there. And it's absolutely powerful. Not only that, he says, we know. It's not that we're hoping for this. It's not even that we're believing He's saying we know. There's something about when you look at the the root of that word, it's the same as as for the word to see in the Greek language. So there's a sense of knowing as a perception. We perceive that God works, causes everything to work together for good. By observation, we perceive that this is how God works out his plan. In my mind, I'm thinking the Apostle Paul, is he was the biblical scholar of all scholars in his day. He knew the Old Testament as well, maybe better than anyone. I'm thinking that Paul is thinking, look back at all the stories down through our national history, all recorded down through the centuries, and you can see again and again and again that God takes very, very bad situations, and when he gets done working his magic, something good comes out of it beyond anything that you could imagine, impossible situations. I mean, look at Daniel, right, in the lion's den. He's just trying to serve God, and he gets thrown to the hungry lions, but God closes their mouths, and in the end, a whole nation is awed with the power of this God who's able to keep them alive all night long in a den full of hungry lions who in the morning, the other guys, the bad guys, get thrown in, and they're gone in a second. And then you have the story of the three Hebrew children, same time frame in history, and they get uh, thrown into the fiery furnace for serving God. So they're walking around, the ropes are burned off from them, but their clothes aren't singed. They don't even have the smell of smoke. And there's this fourth person in there that looks like the son of God. And the king is absolutely amazed. You can take the worst situations, the most dangerous of situations, and see God turn it into something glorious and good. What I love about Romans chapter 8 is that Paul is laying down for us some very solid universal theological truths. This wasn't just for a single person or a group of people in his day. He's talking about God working in the lives of people throughout history. No matter how far back you look, no matter how far ahead you project, this is the God that we're talking about. He works everything out for good. All right, so let's go back and take a look at that Old Testament story I mentioned. I want to go to Isaiah 48. This is just a tiny snippet of a much, much larger story that has to do with the nation of Israel falling out of favor with God, falling into the hands of captors, the Babylonians, who were a brutal group of people, taking him into captivity for 70 years, and now that 70 years is concluded, and the, the uh, prophet Isaiah comes back to say, this is what the Lord says. I got a fresh word for you. It starts out in chapter 40. In chapter 43, when he's talking about doing something new, he's leading into this. So this is a step further. The Lord your God, your Redeemer, the one who restores back what has been lost, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths that you should follow. 
Keep that in mind. In fact, we're going to come back to that in just one second. Take a look at verse 18. This is interesting. Oh, that you had listened to my commands. Then you would have had peace flowing like a gentle river and righteousness rolling over you like waves in the sea. Look at the word commands because everything in verse 17 and what follows in verse 18 is focused on that single word. The commands of God is a word we hate. Don't talk to me about commands. Nobody likes to be commanded around. And when we attach that word to God, we picture this heavy-handed deity who's just up there just trying to beat us up and yank us around. Commands, commands. Nobody wants to know about commands. Here's how God defines what his commands are about. Back up to verse 17. Teaching you what is good for you. He wants what's good for us. Verse 18. You'll experience life like a gentle river, like the waves of the oceans rolling over you. It's about the good plans that he has for us. So that's what the intentions were. God knew in advance that they were going to be able to live up to this. He knew that they're going to end up in captivity again. There would be a need for restoration. He had a plan in place all along. Let's move on to verse 19. Your descendants would have been, this is had they followed the commands, they would have been like the sands along the seashore, too many to count. There would have been no need for your destruction or for cutting off your family name. These people, let me tell you, there were a lot of shallow graves left behind when they were dragged out into captivity. A lot of family members never survived that, didn't get that far. But God is saying, that's the past. That's done. That's over. Verse 20. Yet, even now, be free from your captivity. He is declaring and decreeing that something new is about to happen to people who had a hard time accepting it because things had gone so poorly for so long, they had no hope of this. And even if they could sneak out of the Babylonian camps, and break away. They knew that there was a great, great desert between them and the homeland, which means either some kind of uh, nomads out there are going to kill them, or the wild animals most likely are going to eat them alive, or they're going to die of thirst or hunger out there. Long, long, weeks-long journey to get back there. It looked utterly impossible. But he's saying, sing out this message. Shout it to the ends of the earth. The Lord has redeemed his servants, the people of Israel. He's going to make a way through the wilderness. He's going to put springs of water out there where you don't think they're going to be. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Yeah. God is doing something amazing. And sometimes we're going through difficult times and we have... We have a hard time grasping that idea. I've been in ministry for 40 years now. During that time, I've been through burnout twice. And uh, regardless of what you think of that or know about it, I can tell you it's very, very nasty stuff, and I wouldn't wish it on anybody. You find yourself in a deep, dark place, and you cannot find a way out on your own. You lose your way. You lose your sense of identity. You lose your sense of purpose altogether, and life looks pretty useless at that point. Were it not for a few people who believed in me when I no longer believed in myself, I promise you I would not be standing here today. In fact, there were times when I was 
100% certain I would never preach another sermon again in my life. In fact, I remember the day when I, I hauled all the sermon notes I had created over decades and threw them all in the dumpster. They were useless to me. That's how I'm, I, I regret it now, but that's how messed up my head was. Looking back, I mean, the fact that I'm here this morning is a testimony to God's grace. And looking back, I can see how God was working. I probably don't even have anywhere near a full understanding of what God might have been doing uh, doing during those times in my life. But he's working at something good. Maybe part of the darker days in my life or encourage somebody here this morning just to say, you know what? There is a way back. There is a way out. There is a way forward. God, God's got your back. He's, he's working out something in ways you can't even imagine. Like my old car actually running after that. It's like, how does that happen? But God causes things to work out in ways that are for our good. Let's move on to the second point. I could talk a long time. I'm so excited about these truths, and I, and I hope that it helps somebody here this morning. So not only do we live with the end in mind, that is, it helps us through the dark times when we know God has absolutely promised it's going to end well. The second thing is, know that you have a calling and a purpose in life. Back to our theme verse. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. My calling, his purpose intersect into this divine destiny that's taking place because he's in control of it and he's working something amazing out. So week after next, I have a birthday. Ah, I hate to give you the numbers, but I'm going to. It's 66 this year. 66 years. So old. I, I can remember when I thought that was absolutely ancient. And I can tell you, I don't feel as old as I thought I would feel when I got to this ripe old age. But one thing I do know is, uh, regardless, I'm moving closer to the finish line than I ever have been in my life. Guess what? You are too. I don't care what age you are, because none of us know where that finish line is. Only, only God does. We're all moving toward it, but when you get up into these kind of numbers, you tend to think about life a little bit differently, and I'm thinking about this, called according to his purpose for them. If there's anything I want... By the time I cross that finish line into eternity, I would like to fulfill whatever God's purpose is in my life. And I can't tell you right now what percentage of that I might have accomplished in my lifetime. I'm just thinking that whatever that is, I wish it would work out. Wouldn't it be nice if God would just download to us a to-do list? You know, do this, do this, do this, you're good. Check, check, check. I work pretty well with to-do lists. Jones figured that out. She's got a honey-do list for me at the house pretty much every week. And if God would do the same thing, I'd be good. But uh, it doesn't seem to work out quite that way. However, I do believe that this is a principle that applies to all of our lives. Jesus is our model. Let's take a look at John 17 for a moment. One verse out of this prayer, 
incredible prayer that he prays on the last day of his life before his crucifixion. If you haven't read John 17 in a while, I'd encourage you to do that. But take a look. I brought glory to you, to the Father, here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. I think that's a great model for us in understanding that God does have that sense of work for us to do, purpose for us to fulfill. And Jesus said, I'm done. I've, I've completed what you gave me to do. You say, well, he's God, wasn't he? You know, that's a different, that's a different thing. Well, yeah, he was, but he was fully God, fully human at the same time while he was on this earth. I think this is dealing with more the human side of his existence, bringing glory to God here by fulfilling, by completing all the works that God gave him to do. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. This is This has been my theme verse for a while now, and I'm still hanging on to it. You'll see why in a moment. For we are God's masterpiece. I want that for me, and I want it for you. Not just something that I'm creating to impress God, but allowing God to fully express his purpose in my life so that I become that story. In God's greater story, a masterpiece of his work, he created us anew, us, all of us, anew in Christ Jesus so that... We can do, this is what amazes me, do the good things he planned for us long ago. Imagine, before I was even born, God already had planned some good things for me to accomplish in my lifetime. I would like to be able to say that I did those things that he planned for me to do in my lifetime, thereby fulfilling his purpose in my life. Wouldn't that be awesome? Then it's not always clear to us what that is. And sometimes we stumble around trying to figure it out. There's a great Old Testament story wrapped up in a New Testament passage that helps illustrate this. Let's go back to Romans, this time chapter 9, starting at verse 10. This son was our ancestor Isaac. And so how we get to that is he's talking about Abraham and Sarah and their inability to bear children. They're very old. I mean, having kids at that age is impossible, and yet there's two, a lot of people think angels in the form of men that come to them and say to them, one year from right now, you will have a baby boy. And Paul is saying, yes, that boy was born, and it was Isaac. And then he goes on. When he, Isaac, married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. All right, those of you who know the Old Testament, what are the names of the twins? Esau, exactly, Esau and Jacob. And we're going to talk about them in just a moment. I want you to get verse 11. This is so fascinating to me. But before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes before they had done anything good or bad. So often we think this works out based on our performance. We do good things. You know, God's happy with us. Everything is fine. You do bad things. You're in trouble. Forget it. It's over. No. Verse 12. He calls people, not according to their good or bad works. 
It's according to his purpose, the calling and the purpose in our life. She was told your older son will serve your younger son. Esau is going to serve Jacob. They were twins, but Esau came out of the womb a few seconds or maybe a few minutes before Jacob. But before either one of them took their first breath, God told mother, mom, I'm working out something here and this is going to go countercultural. Because the older son was always the elevated one in the family. Not going to work out that way in your case. But don't sweat it because I've got a plan that I'm working out. Esau was the man's man, the Gaston. He was the hunter. He was the outdoorsman. Had the smell of the field on him. His, the delight of his father's life. He was the guy that was muscular and people looked to. He looked like the guy. Jacob, on the other hand, very bright-minded boy, but he was more of a mama's boy, liked to hang around the kitchen and be with mom and that sort of thing, not the tough guy that Esau was. And probably if you lined them up and said, choose your leader, a lot of us would gravitate toward Esau. It just seemed like that would be the choice that we would make. And God is saying, hey, as counterintuitive as this may be to you, I just want you to understand, I'm working a plan here. I got a purpose in mind, and I'm going to fulfill this, and it is going to happen according to that plan. So sometimes when we're trying to figure this all out, and we're just looking at, you know, how we fit into the grand scheme of things, and we're trying to find our purpose and our direction in life, we just need to understand God's got a prerogative here. And sometimes he lets us know in advance what it is that he's going to do in and through our lives, and sometimes he just does it. Regardless of who we are, where we are, he's working out a plan according to his purpose. Things are going to work out good, but they're going to work out according to his purpose. And we try to insert our purpose ahead of God's. We just run into conflict with him, and it's not going to get us where we want to go. It's according to his purpose. Let's go to the third point. So we'll wrap this up here. This is really fascinating. Back to our theme, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. What's fascinating is, I was looking at this in the, uh, the original uh, language this week, and the sentence structure is different in the Greek language than what we get in English. In fact, that phrase, those who love God, becomes the lead idea in the verse. It's the hinge of this whole thing. If there's a condition to the promise, the promise being that God causes everything to work together for good, the condition is for to those, in fact, it would read, and we know that to those who love God, he causes everything to work together for good according to his purpose for them. What I wanted to say to you this morning is, if you're struggling with this whole purpose thing in life, and, uh, and I've spent a lot of time there myself, I've read books, I've done all these assessments, I just get more confused every time I do something, I wish I could figure out what it was all about for me, I'll tell you where I find peace. Not that I've got it all figured out and that I'm even living it out, but God said that if I love him, he's got a plan and a purpose in place that he's going to work out. 
And really, sometimes we just, when we get so confused and we are so many voices coming from so many directions, we just need to go back to basics. When you look at all that and you boil it down in the simplest form, basically what everybody's saying is, um, what are you good at and what do you love to do? That's your purpose in life. Really? Maybe? I don't know. If you ask me those questions a lot of times in my life, I'd say I don't have a clue. When I was in elementary school, my music teacher said I could sing, so my mom thought my purpose in life was to be a musician. Well, that didn't work out. When I was in high school, my counselor told me, hey, you're good at math and science, you ought to be an engineer. That didn't work out. What am I good at? Sometimes it's like... I honestly don't know. I've, I've learned some skills along the way, but uh, as far as figuring that all out, so what do you love to do? Eat ice cream, go to the beach, play with the grandkids at Disney. Is that my purpose in life? Can I just tell you something? If there's one single thing each of us accomplishes in our lifetime, it should be to develop a relationship with God and trust him that when we delight ourselves in him, remember Psalm 37 from a few weeks ago, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, our heart's desires match up with God's heart's desires and he delights to fulfill those within us. But it's all in that relationship. Loving his word, reading it, and just absorbing it, and, and wanting to live that out, wanting to draw near to know him better, and to allow ourselves to be under his control rather than trying to grasp that control for ourselves. I want to finish up with one final passage from Matthew chapter 22. The Pharisees one day came to Jesus and they said to him, Uh, Let's read in verse 36. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus answered, go figure out what your purpose in life is and fulfill it. Not there, is it? In fact, as much emphasis as we place on that, I don't find that anywhere in the Bible. What's absolutely clear is Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Let's go on. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look at verse 40. The entire law in all the demands of the prophets. You go back and I could tell you which books of the Old Testament are considered the law and which ones are considered the prophets. He's basically telling us everything of Scripture that's in writing are based on these two commandments. When we get to that point where we just want the heart of God in our lives, things begin to take a different shape trust him. It's about that relationship. Joan and I have devotions together every morning, and and, uh, yesterday we were looking at John chapter 4 and reading a devotional, and the author was making the point, John 4 is the great story about Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman. Remember that? Jason references it occasionally because it's such a great, great story. This author was saying, remember the disciples came back with food, Jesus had stayed behind just to rest at the well, he was tired. 
just sat down. They came back with food, and he, and, and he said, uh, you know, I'm not hungry. And he said, well, will somebody give you food? He said, my food is to do the will of the Father and complete the work he has given me to do. And he was energized by that, the interaction with a Samaritan woman. And yet, what happened? All he did was sit down. He didn't go into the village and seek out this woman and try to evangelize her. He sat there and rested, and God brought his purpose for that day to him. And I just wonder how many times that might be the greatest way for us to fulfill our plan and our purpose is to love God, and even in our tired moments, trust he's got this thing. And it's going to work out in ways beyond what we could imagine. Would you bow your heads with me, please? We're going to close with a prayer. I'd like to ask you, maybe you need a new purpose in your life. You, and, and, and that purpose is to build a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, I've never done that. I've, I've never received Christ into my life. That's the starting point. That's the beginning of that relationship. And you can do it today. It's just, it's a faith experience where you just believe what God has said about Jesus' son, that he came into the, this world through a virgin birth. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross in place of our sins, was resurrected to new life. He's alive today. Do you want to receive Christ in your life? Could I just see your hand? Just quickly, anywhere, between you and me and God. Thank you, thank you. I see your hands. God's going to do something new. He's going to start something new in your life. Anyone else before we pray? Just slip up your hand quickly. Let's pray. Thank you. Lord, for your love for us, your great love for us. Thank you for the hope that you give us that out of the ashes and the ruins of our life, you can shape something so incredibly beautiful. It becomes a story to be told again and again. For those that are receiving Christ this morning, I pray that you do a work of grace in their life to set them free from everything in the past that they regret. I pray, Lord, that you give them a brand new start, a brand new beginning. I pray you do something new deep inside, in the heart. Lord, to begin to transform everything about the way they see life, past, present, and future. And Lord, I pray there'll be great joy in the days to come. And for those this morning that are right now walking through the darkest hours of their life, I pray that you'd fill their life with hope, with peace, with a sense of anticipation that you're working out something that's going to end well. We thank you for that in Jesus' name.